0: This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. When crime numbers go down, it's good news for everyone. But what if those numbers were manipulated? We'll talk to a former police captain.
1: They get a lot of pressure from headquarters, so they're constantly being compared to last year's numbers. And the pressure on them is to make sure the numbers go down.
0: Then... Seventy-five percent of three- to five-year-olds are in child care, and an expert says these kids aren't getting enough exercise.
1: Daily physical activity is essential for preschool-aged children. For developing gross motor skills, for fine motor skills, socio-emotional development, developing peer relationships, all of these are actually best learned on the playground.
0: Those two stories and much more are heading your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. Stick around. Our show begins... Right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Someone once said, facts are stubborn things, but statistics are more pliable. Our next guest has taken a hard look at a set of official police crime statistics which were used to shape policy and make many key decisions. Were these numbers manipulated or misused? And what does this mean for all the other statistics used by organizations to shape their policies? Let's welcome John Eterno to InfoTrack. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing well, thank you.
0: You're a retired police captain with the New York City Police Department, and now you're Associate Dean and Professor at Malloy College, and you're co-author of The Crime Numbers Game, Management by Manipulation, along with Eli Silverman, who was a co-author. What motivated you to write this book? Did you witness real manipulation of crime figures when you were with the police department?
1: I certainly heard about it from many people that I worked with. I did not witness it myself, but the thing that got us to do the research initially was the PBA and the SBA, the Patrolman's Benevolent Association and the Sergeant's Benevolent Association, which is the union for New York City officers, came out with a press conference in which they said that this manipulation was taking place. That, combined with other anecdotal information that I heard from the police department, got us interested in doing some sort of scientific analysis. There has been, and there currently is, no other scientific analysis other than what we've done that has actually gone in and talked to the officers, as opposed to some people just looking at trends
0: and things. Well, if you look at statistics, such as the number of assaults or robberies, how can those numbers be manipulated or misused versus anecdotal evidence?
1: First, it's due to the pressure. They get a lot of pressure from headquarters. And these pressures are just enormous to make sure that the numbers are going down. That is, captains and above have to go to something called Comstat meetings. What it means, literally, is compare statistics. So they're constantly being compared to last year's numbers. And the pressure on them is to make sure the numbers go down. So if the numbers are going down, they have a great career, blah, 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 but if they don't see the numbers going down, then essentially their career is over. So this pressure is just enormous. Some of the more popular ways is commanders would either send somebody or show up at the scene of an obvious, what is known as an index crime, and they would tell the person there to take the report differently. For example, one of our interviewees said that there was an obvious homicide. A person was stabbed at least eight times. The captain showed up... To seen and ordered this particular interviewee to take the report as investigate a DOA, to investigate a dead body, as Hmm. opposed to taking it as an obvious homicide.
0: Professor, do you have another example of what we're talking about?
1: Sure. They call back victims, and there are teams of officers now dedicated to calling back these victims. For example, lieutenants and sergeants and even the captain, him or herself, will call victims back in a desperate attempt to get the person to change their story just a little bit. Other ways, roll calls, where the sergeants would tell officers, for example, not to take reports unless the victim was willing to come back to the station house. And this is clearly something highly unethical. I mean, if somebody is the victim of a crime, the reports should certainly be taken, whether they want to come back to the station house or not. We've talked to crime victims as well. One example is an attempted rape victim very articulate woman, and fortunately for her, she is articulate. Her report, she approached the police after a person tried to forcibly rape her, and the officers refused to take the report for rape and took the report as forcible touching, which is a lower-level crime, a misdemeanor, as opposed to the felony rape. She had to contact her assembly person. Eventually, the report was upgraded because she was savvy enough to do all of these things, and she was articulate enough to explain her situation.
0: You have clearly established a pattern of misuse of numbers here and actually manipulation of crime statistics. Other than people's careers in the police force, how does this affect the public at large when these numbers are put into the system?
1: Well, it's a huge effect. Crime numbers don't just affect people in general, but it affects any policy decisions that are made. The cost of houses, for example. It could be almost anything. These numbers drive policy. So when the numbers are manipulated like this, it's an enormous impact on budgets. The people are affected by this, too, Are the victims of crime. If you had something happen to you, you go up to the police, you're expecting them to help you, and they say, well, sorry, you can't come to us. And we've had many victims who had just that happen. One victim of identity theft, for example, went into a precinct, And he was told, I'm sorry, we don't do that here unless you fill out these forms. We want several credit reports before you come in. We want a letter on official stationery from your credit card company that has to be notarized. Mm. They put all these hoops in front of you before you can even report it.
0: So this isn't just government bureaucracy. You feel that it's conscious to inhibit the reporting of serious crimes.
1: Absolutely, and that's the point that we're trying to make by bringing this out. And it's not just in New York. This has also been documented in many other cities throughout the United States. Philadelphia, New Orleans... Baltimore, Atlanta, Dallas, just to name a few, have currently admitted that this type of thing has happened in the past and they're trying to repair it. And again, it's all due to this performance management system where it's management by the numbers.
0: What would be a solution to this problem? To eliminate that system of management by numbers? Or is there another way to get more honest reporting of this?
1: It boils down to really two things. Police agencies need to be far more transparent let others view the books, let others come in and view their ComStat meetings, and also community partnerships. That is, the police departments need to work very closely with communities as opposed to just dictating what's going on. One of the things under this rubric of what can be done that we talk about in the book is integrity testing. This is something that the NYPD has not done and is clearly an issue because they do it for many other types of problems that they've had. All they have to do is have somebody in internal affairs, for example, dress up as a victim, give a story, and then follow the complaint report through to see how Mm -hmm. the police officers did it. Sure. They're not doing this, and there really is no reason for not doing it, since they do it for many other types of situations.
0: We're talking with John Eterno, retired police captain with the New York City Police Department and now associate dean and professor at Molloy College and co-author of the Crime Numbers Game, Management by manipulation. Professor, if I'm someone listening, I have no connection with law enforcement or government, but I want to maybe do something to help this situation. Is there anything the average person can do?
1: Well, one of the things that people are doing is they're trying to get together in some grassroots movements, letting their congressperson know, or their local officials, local political officials, let them know about the problem. It certainly is an issue that you want to make sure that if something does happen to you, you want to know that the police are going to be there. And by and large, most police officers want to do the job right. They really want to get out there and help. They're very professional people, and they do a great job in general. So what this is all about is really trying to change this performance management system to something that's far more community-friendly, so that they know and they can count on police officers to show up when there's a problem and to take those reports when it does happen. You'll find that many police officers are willing to listen, to talk to you, and it would be a great idea just to talk to them, don't shy away. And it depends on what area you're in, too. I mean, there are certain urban areas which are far more likely to see this, and in more rural areas or suburban areas where police can be far more friendly
0: well, the book is The Crime Numbers Game, Management by Manipulation. Co-author John Eterno, who is retired police captain with the New York City Police Department and now associate dean and professor at Malloy College. Professor, we want to thank you so much for joining us on InfoTrack. My pleasure. Millions of tots spend countless hours in daycare. Is it affecting their long-term well-being? That story, straight ahead. There's more info track coming up. Stay tuned.